Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking. Well, hello, Tom. Welcome back to The Hedge. Um, Hi. You're back with your world. Where's the plant? The plant? Oh, the plant's right here. And the plant actually has a story to tell. The plant survived for 12 days while I was gone without anybody watering it <laughs> somehow. So oh, wow. it's, a, it's a fighter. <laughs> it's a fighter. Man, that's wild. And today we're joined by Jared Smith. Where are you, Jared? I am in Knoxville, Tennessee, home of the Great Smoky Mountains. So yeah, nice day yeah, outside. Actually, I love Knoxville. My uncle lived in Knox- Knoxville. One of my uncles, one of my various uncles, lived in Knoxville for a while. Worked on the nuke plant, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like Knoxville and that whole area. I really like the eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina mountains. And would love to move out there at some point in my life. But who knows if that's ever going to happen, you know. Absolutely. I, I worked at Oak Ridge National Lab prior to this, right across the street from Y12. So very yeah. familiar with the uh, DOE high side fun things that uh, go on out there. Yeah. My uncle's a, uh, not a board designer, but he's a board troubleshooter and apparently one of the best in the business. Like figuring out what's wrong with it, with when somebody um, manufactures a board and they have a bunch of them that fail or whatever. He's really good at figuring out the layout and figuring out what's wrong and what's going wrong with them and stuff. He tells funny stories about people who do board design and he'll say, well, I know what the problem here is. You have a direct run between the source and the sink and the ground. So therefore, every time you plug this board in, you're shorting everything out. He's like, how do you not see that? <laughs> you know? oh, it's man. like, it's so obvious. And I said, yeah, but that direct run goes through all these weird places and everything. I never would have seen that. He said, yeah, well, all of the circuit did. <laughs> it's, that's where it is. So today we're talking about BGP route poisoning, poisoning. So Jared, why don't you start by just telling us what BGP route poisoning is, just so our listeners kind of understand um, what, what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when we talk about BGP routing, um, you have to start with the fact that BGP is a path vector routing protocol, and it is responsible for connecting autonomous systems, providing paths around the internet. Um, but the key distinction about um, BGP is that it's with policies. So routing with policies, and that is essentially where poisoning comes in. Um, and poisoning is, or AS path prepending, kind of referred to as the same. Um, it's not in and of itself malicious, depends who you ask, it's debatable. Um, but essentially what happens is when you are presented with a network issue upstream of yourself as an autonomous system, maybe there's a DDoS, maybe there's congestion, and it is on the normal path that traffic is taking to you. So imagine your university, you need to talk to another university or another network. And on the normal path that they send traffic back to you, there is a internet event on that, on that link. Well, with BGP poisoning or AS path prepending, you can essentially advertise a more specific prefix of one you already have out another interface that you have. So you have to be multi-homed. And what you do is you prepend to your path the AS of the upstream site of congestion. So imagine there's you know, four hops between you and that destination that you're trying to get traffic from. 
in the middle of there, there is congestion. You would prepend one of those ASs in the middle. And what happens when you advertise that with your more specific prefix is that the traffic from that destination will now flow to you over the new path because it basically has no option anymore. It says, oh man, the prepending gets calculated by BGP and BGP says, hey, uh, this AS is already in my path. I'm going to drop it. So for that specific destination, they no longer see that they have a route to you over the old link and they are now taking the new link. And this is essentially a very hacky but effective way of manipulating inbound traffic to yourself as an autonomous system without cooperation from any other autonomous systems, without cooperation from ISPs, and doing it in a way that can essentially, and from our studies over years of research, effectively mitigate everything from DDoS to just major congestion events. There are a number of trade-offs to this being a thing or to being uh, to being used in practice, but we know it works. Um, and the last thing I want to clarify about poisoning is it is not BGB hijacking. So anyone that wants to say, oh, this is hijacking, no, it's not. Hijacking is advertising routes you do not own. Poisoning is just messing with your own routes. It's a fancy form of traffic engineering. So, so to back up and try to, so people understand this, my understanding of this is, is that if I'm AS65,000 and I'm peered to three different people, and I want one of those peers not to ever send me traffic to a particular destination I'm advertising, or not necessarily that AS, but I could even go two hops away from me. In you fact, can go hops, as many hops as you want. Right. In fact, more hops away. In fact, it's probably more effective, more hops out because my mm-hmm. local guy, my direct peer, I can just not advertise to you him. You can just not right. advertise. Exactly. Right. But if I have a peer that I want to be able to send traffic to me from everybody except one of his peers, mm-hmm. whoever that happens to be, I simply inject in my AS path when I advertise so that AS number of the peer I don't want to aver- send traffic to me <clears throat> yes. in my AS path. So now I'm not really spoofing where the traffic's come, like where the you surround and you surround the path by your own AS. So it's it's you're not changing the source, ult- the ultimate source, the ultimate source, right? So all you're doing is is you're basically forcing that AS two or three hops away to drop the traffic. Right. Or drop the advertisement, which means you literally do not have a route to the destination mm-hmm. you're trying to get to through that partner AS. doesn't mean they won't have a route altogether. It just right. means that they don't have a route through the AS which you've sent the advertisement through. And, and they'll have a less specific prefix so they can still get to you over. But because everyone else will use the more specific, you've effectively steered other ASs around that AS, whether it's impacted, whether you don't like them. There's censorship things you can do here. There's traffic you know, congestion. There's attack mitigation. My research was primarily focused on DDoS mitigation. Okay. Well, I mean, even if they don't have a more specific, even if they don't have a less specific, I'm sorry, they would still have a route given that they have a peer that has that route. It yeah, just they wouldn't could. go flow directly to you. It would flow mm-hmm. some other path. So you're using you're using their their routers BGP eBGP loop prevention basically to do the filtering for you. Correct. It it, it takes advantage of loop prevention. And obviously, you know, the internet would be lovely if there was some kind of um, you know, more fine-grained control that you can say, hey, please do this. And in fact, BGP community has promised this, but there's a handful of issues with those and on top of the fact that no one really respects the export policy community. Um, so in terms of clean ways, it's not the cleanest, but does this work? Well, we tested it in the entire internet across tens of thousands of samples. And, you know, a single, an operator can take our like hundred lines of Python code and this would work. I mean, we it just, it, it works. Um, but people will disagree 
if they come from a networking side, whether they like it or not. We've got a lot of mixed fund reception. Well, what's interesting about it is that, you know, you say that there's no policy capability within BGP. I mean, other than communities, which you said people don't respect. Well, this kind of runs to the heart of the way BGP is designed. Exactly, exactly. Which is that if I own the packet, I decide where the packet goes out and leaves my autonomous system. That's just it, right? And what you're doing is you're essentially, with this poisoning, overriding that kind of property of BGP, which is why people don't like it, because they're like, oh, that's really freaky. You're actually telling someone two hops away from you not to route traffic this direction, which means you're influencing their policy which really is an internal decision. You shouldn't be messing from two hops away. This is like Newton's spooky force at distance, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and I actually haven't, I, I haven't put it in that context because all of these paths are, I mean, this happens. Like you would hope that these upstream ASs, when they're just getting totally DDoS, like they might have the capacity to handle that. But what if your traffic, the 10% of traffic they're dropping overlaps mostly with yours and that's critical traffic. Um, there's, you know, arguments that being made to both sides and both sides. And it's not, it's not totally unfair that you could just call them up and say, hey, can you help me out here? But the whole point of our exercise and why we pursued this route is because as an academic, we don't want to rely on other people. And in fact, there's dozens and dozens of papers like, oh, if you just get the entire internet to cooperate, or if you just get the entire internet to redeploy BGP and use this next generation reality architecture, then we can mitigate anything. And as a practical person, even as an academic, I just call you know BS on that. No one's going to cooperate with you if they don't have any incentive to. I'm I'm curious what are what are some of the most interesting responses you've gotten to this? Uh, we actually so this so I so that just to clarify, my PhD was in computer science, specifically focused on BGP and specifically security of BGP routing. And uh, this particular paper, the Network and Distributed Systems Symposium, uh, we got tanked a couple times in reviews for total misunderstandings when we were doing this. Um, once, they, once people understood what we were doing, it made sense. But it was so foreign to some operators that they're like, oh, this is like literally hijacking is a good response. The second response would be that, oh, you're having to advertise so many paths, you're going to brick routers. And that was that's something we can talk about later is one part of our algorithm is not just that you want to prepend a specific AS you want to avoid, but you can envision a scenario in which you you would actually cause so many more people to use that more specific prefix on top of the destination you care about, such that you end up essentially DDoSing this new path by pulling everyone else onto that more specific prefix. So the mechanism we have to use essentially lines the path. So it says, hey, here's the path I'm going to force this destination onto. Let me poison everyone else along that path so only the destination will go down it. And so people came back at us and said, well, you're going to have, you can't poison more than like 50 ASs. Like no one advertises paths that long. Uh, We tried it. We could advertise paths up to 255 ASs, um, which was about the policy of our upstream and propagate that to the majority of the internet, like 95%. And people are like, oh, you're going to break a bunch of routers. And I mean, we saw no disruption. We obviously told people we were doing this. Um, But there's, that was the fun thing about doing academic BGP research is that we had these assumptions based on how the protocol says it should work. And we went to test things. And those are very different from the assumptions of pick an operator from a network because everyone has this perspective of how the world works, how internet, how the internet works. And it, it's not, there's no single answer. And that was what was so fun about it. Uh, so I'm curious about how, so when you, when you went to start testing this, you're, you're testing in prod. Right. So how, uh, yeah. how, how did you how did you put bounds around your experiment to um, keep people not 
it's not so nervous about it. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a number of, so our, when we tested this, so my first paper was discussing, like was looking at from a theoretical perspective, could you mitigate DDoS doing this or could you just mitigate congestion? We did it all in simulation, loading up all the ASs, interconnecting all of them, took like hundreds of gigs of RAM. It was a Java simulator. Thank my advisor for using Java in his PhD. Um, <laughs> and when we showed it worked in, in simulation, obviously the natural response to this was, well, does it work in the real world? I mean, it wasn't enough to publish it at the top conference in security. We had to actually show it work. So when we then went on to moving towards that, not only did we work with the operate the actual BJP operator for my university, University of Tennessee, there's 30, 40,000 people on a daily basis there. Um, he's a bona fide BGP expert, but he also worked with my research group. We also work with uh, Peering, which is a, a literally a BGP testbed designed for production BGP experiments, academic experiments. And it's run out of USC by a number of academics that also work with ISPs. So we had two entry points in the internet, one from this Peering testbed that was interconnected around five or six different um, IXPs around the world, and then one from our university directly to both Level 3 and WOW, um, those two ISPs. And as part of all of this, not only did you know my colleague review our implementation, but I mean you have to take necessary precautions for not just dumping out a bunch of advertisements. We obviously wrote unit tests for everything before we ran it. We worked with our upstream providers to make sure things were rate limited. If something did break, we weren't going to just shove out you know a million you know Python statements that just overloaded the router. And the other piece is that everything we were doing, we weren't steering any production traffic. So all of these prefixes were totally unused, only used by us. And we used the RIPE Atlas global network of probes to trigger trace routes from these ASs we were steering. So, I mean, we're looking at most a couple kilobits per second of traffic that we're shifting. So, you know, if a couple kilobits a second onto a path that you don't usually use brings down your entire network, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's my problem, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, the, the, there were a number of things in there, and the, the paper kind of dives into that. We had an entire ethical consideration section for all of this. So the average AS path length in the internet, the average hop length is only about four and a half hops. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so if you're poisoning one hop away from you, so if you're if you're an edge, if you're on the edge, and you have one upstream, there's probably only three ASs between, at the most, between you and the other destination. Mm -hmm. It could be four, but most of the time it's around three. So if you're, if, if you're upstream by one hop of you, which seems like the most effective place to do this or the place where you'd most likely use it because two hops away from you, you probably don't understand the network well enough mm -hmm. to do a lot of traffic engineering two hops away, right? Well, well, so one neat thing about this is that it's a totally iterative algorithm. So you actually have to understand about nothing of, of the other network you're getting off of. You just need to know where the congestion is. And once, and you can identify that with just trace routes between your destinations. Am I dropping a bunch of packets? Once you identify that, the algorithm that does essentially, it's a mixed breadth first, depth first search that poisons iteratively once along like this tree, a, a tree of ASs after building the paths. And here's the other thing, we don't have, you know, the internet doesn't like that what ASs are actually connected to each other is not like published anywhere. You have to actually 
send traffic to them. So our models based on inferred ASs from Kaida, but it works very effectively. So we would simulate whether this one was congested and actually take an iterative algorithm to search for paths that we not only would get around it, but the second piece is not everyone actually like does this. So people will actually just ignore prepended ASs and not drop those routes. I mean, who knew it? People can have their own policies. So it you don't really have to know whether the network is really anything about it. You just do it and it will eventually find a path if it can that can get around the congestion. Then you just do your normal metrics and see if it it's if it's any better for you. And latency was actually equal, a, a really negligibly different for the best paths that were chosen for paths that would not normally have been used. Um, people also wanted to tell us that these paths are obviously picked because they're the best. Well, obviously not. The internet is a human-driven thing. People pick it for money. They don't just pick it for um, you know, whether it's the most performant, like look yeah. at Comcast, <laughs> like <laughs> why? Any, anyone who thinks that the, the path you get out of BGP is the best path because it's the fastest or the you highest would, quality. You would be surprised with some of these academics. Think, no, but, no uh, way. Have you never heard of hot potato routing? Have you never <laughs> heard of cold potato routing? And you've never heard of mashed potato routing? I mean, seriously, guys, that's what the whole game is with these things is to, is to route traffic to the best economic advantage. In fact, I know of a provider, I don't know if people still do this, but I knew of an edge provider who used to use their local preference in order to intentionally fill, if they had a customer that had four or five links upstream to them, they would intentionally fill one of the links. So that customer would come back and go, oh, we've got to, we've got to upgrade this link because it's too big. And it's like, it's the provider nice. doing it to <laughs> you. That's awesome. <laughs> Yep. And you can't, and they can't, unless they ask them, Hey, what is actually going on with your stuff? I mean, they're not going to tell you like, no. <laughs> so yeah, no, this stuff has everything to do with economics and nothing to do with performance. Most of the time that's, that's, that's just absolutely. But I guess what I was saying with the four hops thing is, is that, so really in this iterative design, you're actually pretty fine grained in the path that you can choose. Even if you don't mm. understand what that path looks like, you're pretty fine-grained in it. Now, of course, you could pull the entire BGP table from multiple route servers. That, that build, is, I mean, that is build, what we're actually doing. An AS yeah. path peering. You could build an AS path graph of mm -hmm. who's connected to who and how often and where and stuff like that. If and you, you can wanted. try to get onto the, you know, the, the, the route that you chose based on what you build out of the routing updates. And that's what our simulator did in our first paper. Um, but it's not always effective. And there's actually a paper prior to ours in 2015 that used path prefending from the same testbed peering to explore what the difference in uh, routing table built routes for, so inferred routes based on who's what the paths look like with what you can actually find from poisoning, um, what, what you can actually discover new links. And in our experiment too, we discovered that lots of links existed that you did not see particularly advertised when you tried to make people use a different one. If it's if they shouldn't have another path based on the inferences and then you poison all the ones you think they have, they might, they're literally a new one could come out of nowhere and like, oh, look, that's a new path. I didn't know that existed. Um, and then we're using it. So it's interesting. It's a. It's. I'd love to just have every single Cisco router put install an agent for me, so they can send back data on what their path table looks like and send trace routes on my behalf. But no one's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a lot of BMP data. That's what that. Yeah, would be. Yeah, that would be an academic dream. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I guess it would also depend on whether or not they would allow you to inject routes into the table to modify the path too. <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs>
So, <laughs> so there are legitimate purposes for this. You say DDoS, but you said some other ones earlier. Kind of ex- maybe let's go over those real fast. Some of the legitimate reasons for doing this type of path poisoning. Um, I, maybe it's even good to explain the DDoS case because people may not understand it by just saying, oh, there's a DDoS case. Yeah, it's self-obvious to some people, but maybe if you don't know BGP Yeah, that absolutely. Well. And, and this is, let me state, be clear here, this is not like a DDoS that a Cloudflare can mitigate or a Dyn can mitigate. This is like a nation state level DDoS that the kind of attacks that we that GitHub is advertised where it's like we're seeing like two terabits per second or the kind of attacks that nation states have done against single links into a country and our paper discusses this single links into a country that when they take it out it's they're they're dead in the water we don't care about the kinds of ddos that a commercial tool can mitigate because it turns out whether people want to admit it or not especially vendors um it you can direct so much traffic to a link that it just melts i don't it doesn't matter how big it is so the point the reason why this technique is so cool is because even in the case of a ddos that is that sophisticated that large we literally just move the traffic away from it. Like there's no there's no filtering needed. There's no uh, there's no black holing needed. And on top of that, I mean, I do machine learning research too. Bot traffic is getting very sophisticated. And if any vendor tells you they, they can identify every single bot request as malicious or not, they're lying because a single HTTP get can be aggregated at millions of bots and you interconnect bot sends bot sends to bot that bot sends to this other bot, they can all build a, a path such that they hit a single link in the internet. And we call this transit link DDoS. And there's some papers on this too, such that all of these bots are sending traffic to each other, just regular web server requests essentially. And they can build it such that the path traverse a single link that just totally saturates and blows up that link. And in that kind of DDoS, which we've seen actually executed in the wild, I mean, that kind of DDoS path prefending is perfect because it totally like ignores the fact that there's even congestion. It just finds another link. Whereas filtering would never be able to stop that. I mean, no network appliance can filter, you know, three terabit per second DDoS. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I mean, you know, some people tell you different things, but in, in the case that they could filter it, not every internet, not every AS out there can. And the coolest thing about this technique is that anyone can use it. You can be a small nonprofit up to a small country, all the way up to a you know tier one, um, and it can help you. Um, so yeah, there's there's that that's one of the nice uh, uses. Um, there's things you can do just from a regular traffic engineering perspective, where you can you know use a more preferred route. There's there's ways from a measurement perspective, from an academic side, where you can use this technique to discover new relationships, new relationships in the internet that we couldn't otherwise have seen. There's a censorship censor, censorship perspective where if we're you know an autonomous system that's somewhere that we need to get traffic from another AS that could be being censored, um, or there's certain, I don't want to get into this, it's a deep topic, but there's ways in which you can route around certain ASs that are doing, that are doing on-path tampering with, uh, with traffic by using the same technique. There's a number of interesting ways. And we can also talk about the malicious ways. You've had Tyler McDaniel on the show, my colleague. Um, I don't know if, I think he talked about PeerLock, but we also published a paper talking about a very malicious way in which you could use the same technique. And so, yeah, so yeah, he talked about pure lock. That's all he really talked about was pure lock. So yeah, so that's interesting. So basically all you're saying, what you're saying is, is that if you see a congestion point in the internet, you could use this technique to route around that congestion point, whether that congestion point is there because of, oh, I don't know, 
Um, it could be, uh, you know, a DDoS attack or it could be anything. You really don't care what, what the reason that that You just see there. degradation on your network from that particular destination you care about. Right, right. You can also use this even a little bit just to manage the amount of traffic coming into. If you have four mm-hmm. connections to the internet and you see one connection is getting hot, you can you load balance actually, the same way, yeah, too. Yeah, you can load balance the same way. Because it's you your can, inbound traffic. Remember, BGP lets you control outbound, like we talked about, but this gives you the other direction. Um, right. And in one, uh, the I mean, the cool thing about it is that, I mean, and I think the coolest thing about it is that you can do this as an autonomous system with no cooperation, no amount of like having to buy filtering appliances or balancers or anything. I mean, I'm not kidding when I mean like, you know, reach out to us. We can provide the scripts. We didn't publish them because we don't want anyone to carry out some of these malicious things. But you, we can provide the algorithm or you can read our paper to say, okay, I'm an AS that regularly gets crapped on by the people upstream doing dumb things or I'm in a weird part of the world. You can use the same thing to find alternate better paths. It's experimental, obviously, but the coolest thing is that anyone can do it. And that's something that you can't get from a lot, a lot of places. AJSs are bound to the policies of their upstreams, right? Right. Right, right. But I'm saying, yeah, even for load balancing, like, again, if I have four four inbound connections to four different data centers and I'm seeing one of my data centers get hot, I could actually shift traffic off that data center by figuring out who the, you know, using this algorithm just to dump the force traffic from a different way. Now, we would normally do that using Anycast, which you could do this with Anycast, but we would normally do that using Anycast with like ASPath prepend or using RFC 1928, uh, I think it is, you know, almost all providers allow you to set the local preference within their, within their autonomous system by sending them their community. But the, but the advantage here is you don't have to, you don't then have to kind of translate your policy across all your transit providers. You don't right. have to say, yeah. which community do I put here versus that per, per transit and, provider. And we, te- we tested this with multiple, we called these destinations critical ASs, ASs that you really care about getting traffic from. We tested this as well with having multiple critical ASs. So you, you pick the five most important ASs that you need to guarantee traffic from. And no matter what kind of DOS event is happening, we'll steer them onto something else. Um, and you mentioned the uh, you mentioned whether people you know could be using this. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if people like Cloudflare or other CDNs that say we're dynamically steering routes, doing traffic engineering to give you the best route, are using something like this. There's lots of poison prepend routes that you can see in the routing tables. But our research was the first to really define its use case and lay it all out for the purpose of congestion mitigation. And as I mean, coming from academia, um, I don't care what a CDN or AS tells me about what they are doing. If they don't tell everyone else how to do it, then it's not valuable to me. And I'm going to go and do that research. So when you're in the tooling that you built, um, are you looking for before before you start the experiment? Were you looking for uh, incidences of this in the table before you started? Was that an interesting piece of data? Uh, we didn't do it. I, so I didn't do a specific analysis to look at whether, I mean, to look at the dynamics. of it, Here's an experiment you could do is look for pre-pended ASs, look at the time it's going on and try and correlate it with some kind of telemetry data to whether the AS is being poisoned or with in any way close to some traffic event. You would need some like tier one level data to see this. And I didn't look at that specifically, but I can tell you there's tons of repending going on across the entire internet because there's lots of good reasons for doing this. It's not just, I mean, like this is a good reason. There's other reasons people do it, even for AS as they manage themselves where they have multiple ASs, they might want to do this to steer within their network. If, if this is taking it to the level of like, let's actually cause, like we've talked about already, moving someone else around. That's really interesting. All right, so let's talk about some of the malicious use cases. 
Um, because now, once we get through that, we want to talk a little bit about how people could defend against those malicious use mm. cases, which is not, you know, it's not if there's good use cases, you don't want to defend against those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so one paper that we published was called Maestro, and it's just a simple, simply the idea of rather than using this to move somebody off of a link, why don't we use this to aggregate a bunch of other people onto a link? So you can see where we can be going with this. And our people were moving onto a link was essentially bot ASs. So ASs that have lots of bots in them. So whereas prior, these DDoS attacks are, you know, the the links you can target with a botnet, Mirai, whatever we have the Mirai data set, or we had it for a few months after it was blowing up based on passive DNS data. These bots are spread out over large amounts of AS in the internet, but they're relatively clustered to a few, like you know, 10 to 20, where like millions of bots are from these AS, from these botnets. And so the thing is though, these bots can't always target every link in the internet. They can't, they can't aggregate their traffic by sending each bot to other bots. So bot like connections squared essentially every bot to each one. They can't hit every link. So what we use this for was to say, okay, I'm a botnet and I want to hit this particular link. I can actually use Maestro in a way, and here's how it works. If I'm a, I control a botnet, so I rent out a botnet, I also have an AS. I either compromise an autonomous system where I literally just register an autonomous system, which is like 400 bucks and you pay a provider. There's cases of this happening where they're used maliciously. And as an autonomous system, I do the same thing that Nix does, the route steering, but I, the people I'm steering are now, I take all of these bots and I force them onto a single link of an upstream provider that I want to DDoS. And by doing that, I then I force their path to change to this, this single link, and then I trigger the DDoS. And now it causes, basically, we're going from like 20 to 30% of a major botnet can hit a link, which on its own is enough to bring down most of these links. I mean, that's a hundreds of gigabits of traffic. I can take it from that much to literally multi-terabit from a regular botnet um, by just using, uh, by having it on the system and doing interesting steering to move them all onto that one link. Um, and there's particular, there's, and I, I can't, it's been, it's been a couple, it's been a year or so since we work on this, but there are particular types of ASs where this relationship won't work because of uh, Valley free routing. But there are, there are number, there are dozens of major tier ones and tier twos that a random AS, like a total stub AS can bring down with a botnet or theoretically bring down because the steering is able to be done onto those providers. So as an attacker, you don't even need to ed- originate the traffic anymore. All you oh, have to no, do is you, steer you it. literally, you just, you rent a botnet. I mean, that's on it. I mean, I do threat research for a private sector company now, and there's dozens of forums where you can do this. Well, no, no. What I'm saying is the traffic's already flowing. You don't even have to oh, rent the botnet. Oh, you, okay. Right? So yeah. So you could, so that's another thing. You don't even have to, you could just look at, here. T- take CDN provider, for example, take people that are already producing lots of traffic. Well, let's just. If they're producing a lot of traffic to my the AS I compromise or the one I control, well now I just steer their traffic to me over whatever which link I want to. We didn't end up we we totally called out uh, on the paper, but that's an even scarier scenario. Imagine you comp you're an inside person at one of these big content networks that gets a lot of traffic, and I decide to be malicious one day. Yeah, even a last mile provider. Even oh a yeah, last exactly. mile provider. If you can compromise a last mile provider with ten or twenty, even ten or twenty or thirty thousand customers. And you can direct every video flow from three or four of these video commercial services over a single yep. link between, say, like ET and T and Verizon. 
Yeah, it, 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 could, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous what you can do. <laughs> you could take out like. I um, mean, and yeah. we did that. We te- we didn't test obviously this. We didn't test mass amounts of traffic. <laughs> oh come we on! We tested <laughs> obviously. That's we the next test, paper, right? We, yeah. Uh, well, that's why we didn't publish this particular set of code because it's essentially like publishing a zero day online. I mean, people. The only reason I'm haven't maybe this has been hap- has happened since then. The only reason I. I think we haven't seen some major headline of this new crazy DDoS is because I have we haven't been on a podcast to talk about it. We haven't done anything other than present at this conference. We're not going to go to Black Hat and discuss this because it's really scary. I mean, go fish a BGP operator at a, like you said, a last mile network that provides uh, ISP traffic that provides traffic for like forty thousand customers in a small city. You know, yeah. just take out their tier one. And we've seen these instances where a single, like Verizon has an issue and like half the internet falls over. Like, I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, I, yeah, it's a yeah. great distributed system, but there are these problems because of pre-pending for the good things it does. It's an example of a case in which you can make BGP do things that it wasn't otherwise intended to do. Yeah. Well, another, another kind of attack in this realm that you may or may not have thought of is that if you happen to own an AS, which is heavily instrumented, because even with encrypted traffic, you can often tell what's in the. There was just a paper I saw recently where they had take they take DOH traffic, and uh-huh. they said even though it's encrypted to the to the DNS server, they could still figure out what domain had been queried for, just based on the patterns of the, of the traffic. traffic. Yeah. Yes. And so that, that was, it was pretty interesting. So if you had a heavily instrumented AS and you could get out and not necessarily getting traffic coming to you, but use like a botnet or something to direct traffic through your AS. So you could do this kind of analysis and perhaps even play man in the middle with particular traffic streams. You could overcome, like you could get all sorts of really interesting information because you could even force the traffic to be symmetric through your AS which is your like your man in the middle AS, which could be totally set up to do nothing but this kind of analysis. And nobody would ever know the difference, right? Mm-hmm. They would just go, oh, it's a transit AS, boom. We, transit. we didn't even notice when there were Chinese ASs literally taking traffic meant for the US to US and taking it over the Pacific, you know, and back to us. Happened a couple yeah, of right. years ago. Yeah, right. Well, that's exactly the like, kind of thing. And that's even do. worse. That, that was hijacking. This is doing it as just, I'm, I'm a trusted provider, right? That yeah. has this telemetry. Let's do it, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, there's lots of attacks. Let's sell some data. (laughs) (laughs) So how would you go about mitigating attacks against this? Of course, the problem is there are good use cases. So as always with anything with security, you know, there's trade-offs. And if you block this kind of thing, then you're actually blocking something that's really useful for DDoS mitigation and for traffic steering and stuff like that. But if you wanted to block it, I mean, how would you go about doing it? I mean, the RPKI wouldn't do anything about this. Yeah, none of the existing, all you literally need to do, all you can do is, you know, one, you can yell and say, this is stupid. No one should ever use this. And there are, there are nanog forums back and forth. I'm sure I'll get some, maybe, I don't know how many people listen to this. I might get some heat. I've already gotten heat before. Um, it's we're not advocating for or against. I mean, the second thing you you can literally just turn off. You can not respect this part of BGP in your route decision process, and that our paper explores widely. Lots of people that just don't do this. Um, that's one, but that doesn't mean that someone else elsewhere on the internet doesn't do this, and we go over there and we steer a bunch of crap and move around, cause a DDoS, and now you're affected by tertiary effects. 
The third thing I'd say, and I mean, it's the hardest thing you, you both are familiar with standards committees is the internet. I mean, it's great. We just need better ways to, um, to work with other people to steer traffic, provide quality of service. And there are, like we talked about, ways to do that. But that's the ultimate thing is as long as the internet is not working for everyone, there's always going to be things that are going to be used to make it work for people. It's not Some, something like SOBGP or Pass State Vector or um, ESVs, or um, I, I dread to say it, but BGPSEC would solve this. But BGPSEC, I think, is too heavyweight. So, so you, I was going to say, it's we, we, actually, we have an analysis in our paper where BGPSEC wouldn't, you, you can actually still do this unless BGPSEC was fully deployed, which is also a good paper from Sharon Goldberg that studied a lot, studied a lot of uh, um, networking related research where uh, even unless BGPSEC is fully deployed, you can still do this. You just, there's ways to tamper with the, the, the certificates that you can still advertise. Um, you know, and like I said, when you advertise a prepend AS, you always put yourself on the other side. So you surround the prepends by yourself. So that ensures that ROA can't be by, that ROA doesn't stop you because you're still originating it. There's really not a built-in mechanism to stop this because it is, in fact, just using the protocol as designed in a way that's just not apparent and readily straightforward. But, but yeah, it, it, as PeerLock is another good example that you guys, that prior episode with Tyler, where more systems like that, where ASs can automatically, automatically is the key, you can't send emails, share information about how your network is configured and how to stop peers from doing malicious things or downstream peers even, um, can help mitigate these kinds of traffic routing weirdness. Yeah, I think I think sharing information is a big part of it. But the internet culture between autonomous systems has grown up with, no, we won't share anything ever because that's secret sauce and we're actually giving people the opportunity to, to hurt our business. Um, you know, this is why you can't get a real AS peering map of the internet. Because like you said, there are, there are routes that are hidden that you don't see unless you take out other routes. And those might just be backup routes and they might just be something that's used locally or only intended to be used locally. I mean, if you look at like AT&T, Verizon, they may have a connection between, say, Bethesda, Maryland and, and Washington, D.C. or something. And they really advertise it, the routes to each other in a way that really kind of prevents anyone from transiting that path who's not from within that regional space. Because mm -hmm. they don't really size the link that way. But when you go about messing around to get traffic shifted around, you can end up hitting that link because it can end up being the best path. And you can't really know that from the outside, right? You, you don't know what those links are sized like. You don't know, you don't have any idea what's going on behind those, behind those connections and why they're there. But, and, and part of that's intentional and part of the ISPs, like they don't want anybody to know that those kinds of links exist or that those policies exist within their organizations because then people could take advantage of it and they don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to, and I wanted to make sure I put, I got, I've just pulled this number out of the paper. When we ran this experiment, it took us, it, was, it took me a couple of years of working on this to do this. But finally, once it was published, it was looking back, it was, it was 1800 times or 1888 times I tested the ability to do this across many parts of the internet. And of that, it was 1460 that were successful in finding at least one alternative path. So 77% of the time, filtering policies were, it was possible for algorithm to find a new path. I mean, 77% is pretty solid for people to otherwise have no hope of getting this, you know, 
getting yeah. the ability to mitigate some kind of major attack or some something that's going on upstream. Right. Um, and and it was and the other thing I want to mention is that the average increase in latency was about a two percent increase. So anyone that's going to tell you, oh well, they're the, like again, let's put the nail in the coffin. The best paths that exist are not the best paths from a performance perspective. And and I had heard that so many times, um, not really from operators, but mostly from academia, because they're like, oh, well, that's how BGP works, right? And like, have you ever looked at the internet before? Have you ever sent any trace route? Um, <laughs> And not the best networking researchers won't say that, but you get these conferences where not everyone is a, you know, there's like four other people, four other research groups that really do BGP in academia, and they know what they're talking about. But someone that says they do wireless networking that tries to think about routing and the internet and say they can make parallels, just they're not going to have a background and experience to know why we're doing what we're doing unless they really dig in and understand every detail. When you were when you were designing your experiments, did you did you confer with network operators and get their feedback? Uh, yeah, so we sent out um, we we sent out uh, basically announced that we were doing this. Every time we started a new experiment, we announced to the different peering ASs. We had to go through a process of approval from the for the experiment from peering. So it's peering.usc.edu, and that was a number of operators that have to say, okay, this is a fine experiment. The guardrails are up. You're not going to break things. Um, as far as getting distinct feedback at like, hey, present this at a NANOG or conference like that, I haven't done that yet, though um, that is something. I mean, Tyler, for example, is invited to talk about his study of Peerlock, and I'm always happy to. It's just once I finished my PhD, I moved on to private sector, and I've not been touching a lot of this recently. But but yeah, I mean, uh, one, thing that, one thing that has been interesting has just been um, has been to see some of the uh, some of the feedback being uh, positive versus negative. A lot of people see it like you guys have, where it's like there are good cases, there are bad cases, and you you just don't want to you don't want to open up a can of worms with any of these things. But knowing that this is theoretically possible it certainly has its benefits. I think that's really cool. So, Jared, we need to bring you back on to talk more about your BGP research in the future. But I think we've kind yeah, of, absolutely. I, I think we I think we've run that topic out for the moment because it's. Anyway, um, our, our listeners will get tired and fall asleep. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. I, I could talk about this all day. but I'm, At some I'm, point. No, but it's cool. It's good. So, Tom, where can people reach you if they want to, um, to, to see what you're doing? Have you blogged at all? It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Russ. Don't worry. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm almost scared to publish anything because if I do, then what's going to happen with our little thing we got where you shame me about blogs every <laughs> single recording? <laughs> I'll just, I'll shame you for not blogging every week. Oh, perfect. There we go. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Well, now, now that I know that, I can publish. Good, good. I'm, okay. I'm at LinkedIn at Tom Ammon, and I'm also on Twitter. All right, cool. And Jared, you're apparently not doing BGP research any longer, but uh, do you blog or tweet or LinkedIn or uh, anything? Yeah, to- yeah. So I work at a company called Security Scorecard now, leading the threat research team where I where a lot of our measurements are related to internet security related things. So you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash n slash Jared the Coder, J-A-R-D. My website's the same thing, jaredthecoder.com. Turns out there are a lot of Jared Smiths uh, out there, a ton of them. There's even the CTO of Qualtrics is named Jared Smith. So unless I become the CTO of Google, I think I'll always be lower in that totem pole. So sharethecoder.com <laughs> is where you can find me. All right, cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and we'll bring you back Thank onto you. the heads in the future to talk about BGP, internet security, whatever. Absolutely. 
subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service, or follow along at rule11.tech.